This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore and I'm your host. This week, we get to talk to Jamie Wright, who is most commonly known as the very worst missionary. She's had a blog for quite some time under that name, and then most recently has released a memoir with that name as the title, The Very Worst Missionary, A Memoir or Whatever. Jamie has a whole lot to say about missions, the way that we think of missions, and the type of people that we send on mission trips and things like that, the language we use, as well as we get to talk a good bit about kind of her backstory, her life experiences, growing up Jewish and kind of Christian and not Christian at all, and then how her mental health and self-image played a role in kind of that whole story, things like being on the mission field and dealing with depression. So just a couple quick heads ups. There is a little bit of language in this episode, nothing too far out there, but I just wanted to let you know in case you're listening with kids or anything like that. And then the second one is just, we did have some connectivity problems during this episode, some internet kind of going in and out, so if you hear some spots that sound kind of like we've jumped a little, it's because we went back and recorded some stuff that maybe uh, was cutting out a little bit in Skype or something like that. Or if you hear a lot of fluctuation in the sound quality, sometimes that happens when the uh, internet connection gets uh, a little wonky. So again, nothing too far out there. It's all definitely listenable. I made sure to clean it up and, and make it sound as best I could, but just wanted to give you a little bit of heads up. It's not, uh, it's nothing on your end, the podcast player's end. There's just a couple spots where maybe that'll happen. So not a big problem, but thought I'd let you know. It's a great conversation. I don't want to spend too much time talking on the front end. So all the standard reminders as normal, check out our website for show notes, things like that. You can always support the show. All the links are there. So hope you enjoy this episode with the very worst missionary jamie wright this episode of cxmh is brought to you by stigma fighters stigma fighters is a nonprofit organization dedicated to giving people living with mental illness a voice share your story in a thousand words about living with bipolar disorder schizophrenia depression anxiety ptsd did and more at www.stigmafighters.com Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited today to be joined by Jamie Wright. Jamie is a writer and speaker best known for her snarky faith and lifestyle blog, Jamie, the Very Worst Missionary. She's also an advocate for missions reform and humanitarian aid, and she currently lives in Northern California with her family, two dogs, and an evil cat. Jamie, how are you doing today? (laughs) I am good. My cat is not with me, so I'm fine. (laughs) Fair enough. Aren't all cats evil, though, if we're being honest? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I've met some really nice cats that don't live in my house. 
but mine is definitely not nice and that's okay. Fair enough. Uh, well, obviously there's a, your little blurb there, but, uh, what else, what else should listeners know about you? Um, I don't know that listeners really need to know anything about me. <laughs> I'm just, you know, a chick with opinions on the internet. Um, but yeah, I live in Northern California. My kids are grown. My youngest just turned 18. So that's kind of exciting. And, uh, yeah, awesome. I, I can't think of anything really crucial. Yeah. Well, you're also the author of a brand new book, The Very Worst Missionary, A Memoir or Whatever, which is just a fantastic yeah. title. <laughs> so Thanks. give us a little bit of, I know that this book has kind of your whole life story in it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Can you give us kind of, I guess, like a summary of kind of the first chunk of your life? I mean, I know you started, you were raised in partially a Jewish household for a bit and then not for no Mm -hmm. particular reason other than a Christmas tree. Uh, So, (laughs) I mean, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah. um, I, my parents were raised like Protestant, you know, differing Protestant backgrounds. And when I was like a little tiny baby, they decided to become Jewish. So my entire early childhood, I was Jewish. Like I never knew anything other than being Jewish and, and like pretty legit Jewish. Like we did, we celebrated all the, um, Jewish holiday, not just like Hanukkah, but like Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, and like all of the holidays and, um, you know, went to synagogue and I went to like Jewish day school. Like it was, we were super Jewish, but, um, I, I guess my parents had a bit of a faith crisis or something at some point, because when I was about eight years old, my dad came home one, well, and I should clear, I should say this too, but like we weren't just Jewish. We were like like anti-Christian. Like I was raised to believe that Christians were like dumb, like, hmm. like people who followed Jesus were losers who needed a crutch cause they didn't know how to live their lives. And you know, they just like needed a rule book and I don't know. So, um, so it was extra odd when my dad came home one night, like right before Christmas, it might even have been on a Christmas Eve where he like had this, you know, like little straggly Christmas tree that he probably got (laughs) off some empty lot that was done for the season or something, just dragged home this Christmas tree and brought it in the house and was just like, my kids aren't growing up without a goddamn Christmas. (laughs) And so we did, we're like, or Christmas tree, like it was this thing about this Christmas tree that he really wanted us to have this experience that he'd had as a kid or something. And, um, and so we celebrated Christmas that year. Hanukkah had been over for like a week and, um, And that was kind of like the beginning of the end. We just slowly sort of became less and less Jewish and replaced our Jewish or Judaism with um, basically nothing. You know, we we (laughs) continued to celebrate Christmas, but it wasn't for any purpose other than like Santa Claus and presents. And and then and we just really kind of slowly stopped being Jewish until, you know, by the time I was a young adolescent, I was I had no kind of faith. like I, I just, I didn't, it wasn't even on my mind. We, yeah. I wasn't Jewish. I wasn't Christian. I didn't identify as anything. Yeah. And then in adolescence there, I know that you kind of had a, a big variety of experiences. I guess you could, you could call it a, a rebellious phase or <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah. Something like that. You know, I struggled even as a really young child with like depression and anxiety and, you know, so that when that, when you hit like adolescence, you hit puberty and that stuff really starts to rear its ugly head. Um, I, I was sort of a kid in crisis. I mean, I just, as an adolescent, um, was looking to survive, you know? And so, um, kind of 
yeah, kind of put on this little tough exterior. I wore like a little biker jacket. I started wearing a biker jacket when I was like 14 and I wore these like steel toe combat boots, you know, and, um, and really, you know, dove into some pretty, pretty, um, what could have been like some really dangerous stuff. Very young, you know, 13, 14 years old, I started like drinking and doing drugs and, um, you know, having sex and just doing all these crazy things with crazy people. And, um, and, protecting myself by being tough you know by being like yeah. oh you can't hurt me I'm tough like nothing matters um <laughs> so yeah I did a lot of really dumb stuff and actually ended up pregnant at 17 which in retrospect you know not super surprising <laughs> <laughs> but it did kind of change the trajectory of my life so yeah so then you got married and I'm just I mean I know if listeners, if any of this sounds interesting, you need to go read this book. This is obviously just like a spark notes, like bullet point. Uh, right. But, it's so weird then, like to write a memoir and then like talk about a memoir because you're like, right. oh, it's in the book. It's in the book. But yeah. Right. Yeah. This, I mean, the, the book is fantastic, by the way. It's hilarious. And I read like literally the first whole half in one sitting before I had to go do something else. And um, <laughs> so then you get married. Yep. Which comes with as a teenager. set of, of challenges, obviously, uh, especially as a teenager. Yeah, teenage teenage mom, teenage wife. Um, so I have this challenge. Like I, I get to learn how to be a grown up and a spouse and a parent and a full time employee and you know pay the bills. All of these things just come at me at eighteen years old. Yeah, I, like moved out of my parents' house with a baby, and you know just became like boom, you're a grown up now, and you have all these grown up. You have a grown up life, and I was so not prepared for it. I mean you know, I just, even my adolescence in no way was, it was prepared, had prepared me for adulthood because I was so off the rails. Um, and, and, and then I ended up marrying someone who was also, you know, kind of an emotional mess. And so it just was so ugly and, um, really rough. (laughs) You know, those first years of adulthood were like very painful. Yeah. I think about the relationships that I was in at 18, 19, um, and thinking about them plus a baby plus trying to be a like a functioning adult mm. sounds very hard. It sounds terrible knowing the relationships I was in at that point. Obviously, it's not you know necessarily the same, but I can imagine but the, still, the types yeah. of challenges. When, when I look at my kids now, they're you know twenty uh, twenty three, twenty. I'm sorry, twenty four. Whoa, twenty four, twenty, and eighteen, and I'm just like, I don't even know how I did it. Like I just am like, oh, you guys are like children your babies yeah. you absolutely you can't even keep your room clean like you, you forget to put gas in your car like how did I do it yeah <laughs> and I, I mean it's kind of a different time I think but you know um it was a lot it was a lot to handle at 18 for sure and yeah. I yeah, did not have the tools to really do it well so <laughs> yeah let me ask you this I know you, I mean you mentioned there some like anxiety and depression type things as an adolescent and you you write in the book about kind of placing all of your worth in, oh, I got to marry this guy who he's, mm-hmm. you know, a football player and everything and kind of putting that worth on him. How mm-hmm. does that dynamic, I mean, that's a lot for him to handle, but also, you know, not really realistic for for you as to where you're getting your worth and things. I mean, how does that dynamic play out? Yeah, I I did not have any self-worth as a young woman and and really and I didn't recognize this at the, at the time but I married a physical and emotional giant like this person who was both physically um in charge and powerful and respectable 
and emotionally like this very um like people just loved him and very you know like people wanted to be around him wanted to you know he just he dominated he was very smart he was academic he was athletic he was this like whole package right and I didn't feel like I had any of those qualities. I didn't feel like I had any quality at all. And so to have earned or received his love um, felt like an accomplishment. And so I sort of like scrapped together my value from being loved by, you know, the the coolest person in the room or whatever. Like I just felt like I was only as valuable as the most valuable person who loved me. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it sort of felt like pay dirt, you know, for this like I was a high school dropout I was emotionally a mess. I didn't feel like I had would ever accomplish or could ever accomplish anything or had anything to offer the world or the people around me. And so I married someone who I thought could do those things. Yeah. And so, you know, to watch, to, you know, get into an intimate relationship with someone and then you realize, oh, they're a mess too. Well, that didn't fly. Like I needed him to be good because he yeah. made me good. And that's so unhealthy. I mean, it was just so toxic, but that's where I was, you know? Yeah. So then you kind of find, I mean, a couple of years go by, you have kids and things, and then you kind of find your way back into church, but mm-hmm. in, I guess, I mean, what you described as kind of the most like stereotypical church, you know, middle <laughs> class, like evangelical, oh, yep, Bible study. Upper, yeah. Yeah. The, the upper middle class evangelical church on the beige corner in the suburbs that is you know everybody knows it that's the church that I walked into and that's the church where I I fell in love with Jesus and really for a time that for that period of time in my life I was I I had three kids by the time I was 20 uh 24 and I looked still 18 (laughs) so I looked like this little girl with all these kids and you know walked into that church feeling desperate and alone and 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 I was really um, received and loved. And, you know, as as much as I can look as easy as it is for me to look back now and go, oh, it's so broken that the evangelical church is such a mess and they're doing so much, so many terrible things. Um, for me at the time, like it was life giving and the, the community that, that surrounded me, you know, at least in the very beginning was um was so c- kind and helpful and gracious to me. So, yeah. you know. I can't discount it all, <laughs> but my perception of that church, you know, I felt, I walked into it and immediately fell in love with people and the community and the, this person of Jesus. And, um, it was awesome for a period of time. But then as I really started to explore or, or learn about who Jesus is and how he lived and what he called people to do, um, it became, you know, very yeah. apparent that like this church wasn't really a very good reflection of, um, of, of Jesus. And, yeah. and I really started to have a lot of questions. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, I think a lot of people are going to relate to that story. I know I relate to that. And it, I mean, it kind of reminds me of what you were just talking about with your husband of kind of finding something and saying, Hey, this makes me feel loved. I feel at home here. But then mm-hmm. kind of the closer that you get to it, you start to see the imperfections. You start to see, Oh, maybe this isn't as perfect as I thought it was, but that doesn't discount, yes. you know, the good parts that, you needed right then. But, you know, as you get closer, you start to see, hmm, there's, there's things here that aren't what I think maybe they should be. Yes. And honestly, my life has been a, had been, or I mean, it's, I guess it still is in some ways, a series of just sort of like finding the next thing to give me work. 
proud of that. And then I was a, a wife and a mom, and I was proud of that. And then I became a Christian, and I was proud of that. And I felt like, you know, oh, here's this thing that gives me value. And and so again, same deal. Like as it starts to fall apart, you just start to go, well, wait, 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 wait. Am I dumb? Did I? Did I why didn't I see these things? You know, yeah. am I a skirt? <laughs> um, it's, it can be a little disheartening, I think. Yeah. You know, but it's part of the process, I guess. So how did that lead you into being a missionary, right? Because the name of the book, for people that don't know you, the name mm-hmm. of the book and the name of the blog and kind of this this thing that people know you as is the very worst missionary, which yes. is an interesting <laughs> label as itself. But before you were the very worst missionary, you were just right. a missionary. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe <laughs> I started, I think I might have started out pretty, pretty bad, but um <laughs> You know, it's just funny because it's like I was already in this process of kind of dismantling my relationship with church and with evangelicalism and being like, God, this is this feels so broken and there's these issues and there's so much hypocrisy. And so then I went and became a missionary, <laughs> which is like a little counterintuitive, um, you know, but I, I think there was a lot at play there. You know, there was the sense of um, there was a, an arrogant sense of like calling right oh god's calling me i'm gonna go god wants me to go to this other country and do these amazing things and he's gonna use me right there was this kind of arrogance of like i've got this figured out and maybe other people don't or whatever um and then there was also this self-preservation right i was making these i was bargaining with god i was saying you know i'm still broken i've been following jesus for these this many years and I'm still deeply struggling with depression and anxiety and I was in a miserable marriage and my kids were unhappy and, you know, there were all these issues that like were supposed to go away because I was following Jesus. Right. And Jesus, according to the church, like all you need is Jesus and then Jesus, your life will be pretty and sparkly and everything will be great. Well, that wasn't, it wasn't panning out that way. So I really felt like if I do this thing, like if I sell everything and move my family to another country, God will fix me. He will fix yeah. all this. I will finally get that promise, <laughs> you know, that whatever. Yeah. Uni- unicorn sprinkling, you know, pixie dust on my life. But, um, it, and so, yeah, I mean, I just felt like it, it felt kind of like a natural next step for someone who genuinely believed that, um, I would be rewarded, right? And I wouldn't have used the word rewarded then. I I would have used the word blessed, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is so gross. But I just thought if I do this, God will bless me. Um, So that kind of arrogance combined with my own neediness, it it just was sort of a perfect storm of like, well, I guess I'll go be a missionary. and, And not only am I so awesome that God will use me apparently, but also I'm so broken that God will fix me. So, <laughs> which is an interesting dichotomy. I, I mean, uh-huh. I think that's what uh, I think that's where a lot of people are. But it is this interesting. I'm so awesome that I can do all this, but I'm also so not awesome that I need. You know, it's this interesting yeah. dichotomy that shows up in, especially evangelical Christianity. But mm-hmm. I feel like American Christianity a lot. Mm. Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, it's it's super prevalent even in progressivism, like. You know, it's just the sense that like, oh, I'm, I know things. <laughs> I've got it figured out and I'm going to go do it better than the last person. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, you know, change this or whatever. And then this other sense of like, I am such a mess. I am, I, I can't even take care of myself. So 
um, please God step in and fix this. And it is, I think it is really common. I think it's a, it's just part of the human condition. Yeah. You know, is to kind of live in that tension of both of, of arrogance and self-loathing. <laughs> <laughs> So you move, you and your kids and your husband, you sell almost everything, uh, and then you move to Costa Rica. Yep, yep. We don't didn't speak Spanish. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, worked. not a lot of training. Yeah, and did, yeah, did, no, no sense of like, <laughs> this is what we're going to do, and this is why we're, I mean, yeah, completely not equipped, not um, prepared, no training, no anything, like no real pr- reason to be there um, other than that other white people invited us to come and join them. <laughs> and so we were like, well, okay, then I guess that's God's call. So we did. Um, and it took me about five minutes in a room with a hundred other wannabe missionaries. Cause we started language school, um, right away. And you know, there's like this, this, they do like a orientation. So in language school and I'm, you know, there's this orientation, there's a hundred of us in a room and we're all in the same boat, like, very freshly called by God, and I'm using total air quotes there, <laughs> called by God, um, you know, passionately pro-missions and like in that sense of like, oh, we're here and God called us and we're going to change the world. And I looked around and I was just like, there are so many assholes in this room <laughs> and so many weirdos in this room and also uh, me. <laughs> so what does that say about me? But like, <laughs> like it was just looking around and there were some great people too. Like, I mean, it, it, it's not all horrible, but looking around and just being like, and getting to know some of these people and being like, you're such a dick and you are such a weirdo. How did God call us all? Like, how yeah. are we all here? And how are we all called missionaries? And and then combined with a sense of like, as soon as I started telling people I was going to be a missionary, they Number one told me how great I was. Like, oh my gosh, you're going to be a missionary. That's awesome. Which I hadn't even started yet. Um, and then number two, I realized, like, I had this weird moment where I, I realized, like, if somebody says, what do you do? And you say, I'm a missionary. Their next question is always like, oh, cool. What do you do? And right. so right away, I was like, oh my gosh, missionary doesn't mean anything. <laughs> It doesn't, like, it literally has no meaning. It's just this word, and then you have to explain what your version of that word means. And so, um, you know, standing in this room with all of these people who are, quote-unquote, called to be missionaries and realizing that it's just a bunch of volunteers who are doing whatever they want, wherever they want, um, was really, like, it was scary, and it was eye-opening, you know? And that was, like, day one. So I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) What have I done? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of the beginning of my downfall. Yeah. So, I mean, you're kind of referencing some of it there. And later in the book, you kind of talk about this idea that we have that. And I mean, it gets boiled down a lot of times to, you know, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called or some, you know, Uh, some like great, like, and you push back on that some in the book. And I thought it was like a fantastic, it was one of my favorite chunks in the book, right? Where you're Mm. essentially making the argument like, maybe he equips before he calls, right? Like maybe there's more yes. to this than just, hey, show up with no training. Again, it's kind of that arrogance yeah. of like, well, I moved here to this other country. I guess I'll make it up as I go. Yeah, I mean, how I, is that I, helpful? Oh, yeah. Like I want to write a whole book just about that. Like it's such a stupid like, oh, um, I have a, you know, I know a girl who at 19 moved to the red dirt of Uganda and adopted 180 
disabled children and they're, you know, now she's raising them and their lives are changed and everything's great and everybody loves Jesus, right? So we hear this story and we're like, oh my gosh, you know what? Like, that's so amazing. God used this 19 year old girl to use these things. And we say, you know, there's, there it is proof that God doesn't use the equipped or doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And I, you know, having walked, have, I lived in Costa Rica for five years. I, I knew 10,000 missionaries in that time. There are so many there and have heard all of the stories and all of the anecdotes and seen this over and over and over again. And what it usually boils down to is that that person that did that amazing thing or that, that, that miraculous story, it started long before that, mo- that person decided that they were called. Like before mm-hmm. they were like, I'm going to move to a foreign country. That 19-year-old girl, I promise, had an innate, like God-given, the way she was born, the way she was created was with certain capacity, right? That maybe the majority of 19-year-old girls do not have in them because it just wasn't put in them. Um, That her life experiences, her parents, the way she was raised, the drive she she learned child, um, her capacity to to organize, like whatever. These are like, some of these are just nature, right? Like Mm -hmm. we all have our given nature and some of it are the things that we, our education um, or our experiences, they make us who we are. And then we get to these particular moments And when somebody thrives in a particular moment, we say, oh, God did that right then and there. And that's just not true. Like that 19 year old girl that changes, you know, 100 lives in Africa, she had a whole lifetime leading up to that moment that made her capable of doing that. And so we should not use her as the standard by which we send 19 year old girls out into the world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that is like, like it just doesn't make sense. We have to look, you have to be able to look at the whole big picture of a person's life of, you know, how they were, their, their innate natural abilities, like who they are as a human being, just their nature, who they were created to be, their education and experiences, how they were raised, who, you know, their all of the things that make a person who they are up to this particular moment, it all has to come into play when we decide um, what our quote unquote calling is like, it all matters. And so to say, Oh God did this amazing thing for this one person. So we're just going to send all the people. Um, it's so irresponsible and you know, we need to be able to have these conversations. We need to be able to say to the next 19 year old girl that thinks she's called, you know, Hey, here's why this worked for that girl and good on her. That's great. Cool. We're glad that God redeemed that. But, um, it was a bad idea and here's why and here's why we are not going to send other 19 year old girls to Africa. Yeah. I think, I think part of this is, I guess, confusing formal training, like, oh, you have to go through this training program or whatever with somebody. I mean, when we talk about somebody being equipped, I mean, you just mentioned there, you know, it's your entire life experiences. It's all your, I mean, you have some stuff in here about, you know, working with youth and, and being able to mentor some girls. And I mean, you probably didn't have like formal youth training experience Mm -hmm. for that, but your life experiences played heavily into that. Right. I mean, right. Right. Yeah. And in fact, like, I think the majority of, of like ministry experience is, I mean, ministry training is terrible. It's terrible. I think for the most part, (laughs) our equipping is like the life we lived, not the like, I I mean, unless you're talking about like, you want to be a social worker and you went to college. Like, I think those are really valuable. Like, I mean, that matters. That's important. Um, but yeah, the, the things 
where we decide like, oh, we're going to send people to seminary or we're going to send them to these like missionary training, whatever. I, I just think there's not a lot of value. I'm not saying there's not value in seminary. That sounds really bad. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I just think that sometimes that's not the end all be all. And so there is this weird sense of like, can we just look at all of it? Can we look at how it all matters? And can we look at, you know, um, what what is your purpose? And then figure out if if this is the purpose, if, if the purpose is to say, um, whatever, dig a well, then who is the right person to do that and why? And then look at all of the things that it's going to affect. Like if you say, we're going to dig a well in a village, a impoverished village in another country, and then we take volunteers from the church and the volunteers are like um, 15 year old girls and 75 year old ladies. Well, that might be fine. And you know what? They might even be able to dig a well. But what does it say to say the men in that village when we yeah. send a bunch of little girls to dig their well for them? Like, are we emasculating people? Are we hurting people? Are we hurting families? Are we dry? Like, there's just so much more to it. And so in general, whether it's like who we're sending or why we're sending or how we're sending them, um, it uh, we have to be able to have these conversations and we cannot just blow it all off with this stupid statement that says, well, God, it doesn't matter. God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called and he'll just fix it. Like yeah. we just can't, we can't keep doing that. Yeah. So I know a while back, I think it was a month ago or a couple weeks ago, you did a bunch of kind of Instagram live videos responding <laughs> to the most common things that people said to you about, you know, your qualms with the the short-term missions or things like that, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. what yeah. are kind of the most common pushbacks where people say, well, missions are a good thing because this, and, you know, you have mm-hmm. some alternative thoughts on Oh gosh, yeah. So that's the first that that's the first one. This guy doesn't like it doesn't matter, just just go. Just all you have to do is show up. Um, I think that is absolute garbage. Like it's not our place to just show up in people's communities um and let God do the rest. Like, nope. I think that's a really bad stand that, that isn't a standard at all. Like we need to raise the bar. Um the other thing is I get a lot of pushback on missions because uh, especially short term missions, my my issues with it. Um, in which people will say, well, it's exposure. It's good for the person we're sending because we're exposing them to poverty and we're changing their perspective and we're giving them, you're showing them how blessed they are to live in the U.S. with all this stuff. And um, and I, it, it makes me, so, it makes me so mad <laughs> that this is like, people think that's reasonable. Like they'll say, well, I'm sending my, teenager to Mexico to build a house because it changes my teenager. Um, which first of all, no, it doesn't. It, it really, really doesn't. Like statistically, they, people have done studies and your teenager may come back and be like so grateful for their refrigerator full of food or, you know, so grateful for their iPhone or whatever for two weeks and talk about it and whatever, but their life has not changed. They're, they are statistically not going going to be more likely to give more money to um, serve more to Hmm. go into a profession that is a service oriented profession like it doesn't change them it really really doesn't Hmm. Um, you know it it, you you sent them on a trip like (laughs) that's it like cool good for you but don't call it this like life give life changing thing because it's not Um, and 
and the price that the world pays for you sending your kid, you know, to Mexico to build a shack for somebody who had a shack for them built eight months ago, um, and we'll get another shack in another eight months. Like th- this is, it's just not, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. What we're doing. We're spending $53 billion a year globally, I think is the latest figure Wow. on missions. And the world does not look $53 million better. It doesn't, or billion, sorry, with a big fat B. It doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't, we're not seeing it pan out. And so, yeah, yeah, the whole like, it'll change your kid. No, it won't. Or it'll give you, it'll show you how happy poor people are. That's, first of all, that's gross. (laughs) And um, second of all, that's a lie. Like we don't actually, that's mutual exploitation. Poor people show up and they act happy because they're getting something from you. You don't know them. You don't know if they're happy. Um, and then to come home and say, oh, poor people are so happy. It was so inspiring. And also, I am hashtag so blessed because I live in the U.S. and have so much is a, a bizarre, um, <laughs> like, it doesn't even make sense. Um, and, and so, you know, it's just, it's just, there's so much weird hypocrisy in the whole missions deal that nobody wants to talk about because they just want to keep going on trips and sending their kids on trips. Yeah. So what are, and you know, obviously we don't have like the whole solution mapped out or anything, but I mean, Mm -hmm. what are ways that we could do missions better? What are ways that we could improve? Or, I mean, what are, I don't know, some, any any thoughts? I know everybody's like, well, what are the answers? Don't complain unless you solutions and I'm like I, I have no idea how to fix it because it's such a mess but honestly I think it starts with um changing actually ditching all of the language we use around missions like stop using the word missions stop send being missionaries stop um using all of the nebulous garbage language like planting seeds and um having you know gaining perspective and like maybe choose some measurable results. And if you can look at what you're doing and you see that it's good, then cool, keep doing it. And if you can look at what you're doing and see that it maybe hasn't had the, the hoped for results, then stop doing that thing and do something different. Like, but, but we have to stop using language that doesn't mean anything um, around all of it. Like that's the number one thing. That's the number one biggest change I think we need to make is to just say, you know what? These words don't mean anything anymore, so let's let's use real words that mean things to decide what we're doing and where we're doing it and who we're doing it with. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that about a lot of stuff because I think we've wrapped everything in such weird language that now it kind of seems like that language is sacred, and so to question the thing, I think mm-hmm. I don't know. In like a lot of areas of Christianity, it's like, well, you can't question this thing, and it's like, oh, fine, I'll use a different word, and mm-hmm. then it's not as weird, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, if if I mean if I say God called me, like what are you going to say? No, he didn't. Right. Like I will challenge you. Yes, he did, and I'm going to go do this thing cuz God called me. Like that is not okay. That should not be the the bar that we've set for people to like do whatever they want all over the world. Is oh, well God called me or you know the 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 door prize of all missionaries which is that they planted seeds. <laughs> You know, like, like, well, we don't, we didn't see anything. Like, I don't have any amazing stories to tell you, but I know I planted seeds. Um, no, that's not a thing. Like, that doesn't mean anything. So let's talk about what you really did, which is spend $30,000 and hand out candy to kids who don't get to see a dentist. 
or you know like let's let's talk about what we're really doing and then we can actually see if the things that we're doing are helping yeah. or reasonable or not stupid and crazy you know <laughs> yeah so the show being what it is I'm you know and, and I know in your book you've written some and you mentioned it here about you know going through some depression and anxiety and you wrote in the book about in Costa Rica going through more depression and things like that how does that interact with kind of your faith right I mean a lot of times you mentioned it there we think we talk about you know God will fix things or heal things if I go do this or if I just have enough faith or things I mean how is your mental health and your faith, how do those two interact? Mm -hmm. You know, that's such a good question. I really struggled with talking about my mental health issues for a long time in the church because it felt so taboo. Like it just felt like, mm. oh, we're not allowed to say these things. We're yeah. not allowed to say I take Wellbutrin every day to stay alive or that, you know, I'm an introvert. I'm like maybe severely introverted <laughs> and need time alone or um, that the thought of like going on a women's retreat sounds like a particular layer level of hell to me because of anxiety or like having to be around so many people. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not taught. It hasn't been, I think it's a lot more now, but it hasn't been talked about. And so to end up on the mission field um, with no resources for, my mental health. Like I didn't, the doctor that I saw, our, our family doctor on the mission field was a missionary. So I didn't feel like I could go to him and be like, Hey bro, like I'm really struggling to put on pants and go outside. Yeah. Um, I just didn't feel like I could do that. Um, I didn't have the language to go to a pharmacist, which even, and I don't even know if I could, to be honest, but in missionary in, in Costa Rica, there's a good chance I probably could have gone to a pharmacist and said, I'm struggling with this and because a, a pharmacist can kind of prescribe there hmm. um, a lot of times. So I might have been able to, but I didn't have the language skills to talk about, you know, mental health. That's right. kind of a it advanced, yeah, advanced that's language. Yeah, language school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, I, and I felt ashamed because I felt like, well, I've always done this. I've always felt like my default when I'm really falling into the rabbit hole of depression is is, is like self-loathing and like oh I'm not depressed I'm just lazy hmm, right yeah. I'm just I'm so lazy what's wrong with me why don't I want to work hard why don't I want to be around people like it's just and, and so it takes me a I'm a very slow processor. And so it's just like, it takes me a lot of processing before I'm like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I am super depressed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so there was a lot of that. Like it took me a long time to even realize, oh, this is depression. Um, because I had convinced myself that once I got there, God would fix me, you know, it just, yeah. it was all part of my plan and my plan didn't work out. So, um, you know, being in ministry or like being in paid ministry as a missionary and also being depressed. Um, at some point I finally just had to say, I'm just going to say this out loud. You know, I'm just going to like talk about it. Like, Hey, this is a problem for me. And, and like with most, most things, you know, when you start saying those things that feel so dangerous and taboo, when you say them out loud, typically the response, the majority of the response that you'll get is, Oh, oh my God, thank God you said that. I have that, yeah. you know, I struggle too, or yeah. I needed to hear that, or um, I didn't know I was allowed to say that out loud either. So, right. you know, 
it was very freeing to just be like, Hey, I'm a missionary and I struggle with depression. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, it took, it took some guts to be honest, you know, because especially living abroad and feeling like our whole livelihood was wrapped up in our persona as a missions family. And, you know, that's where you, how you make money is by just being a missionary and being a good missionary and telling right. the stories and being, you know, like perpetuating the idea that if you do these great things, God will bless you. That's like why people write you checks. And so, um, you know, there was an added layer of like, Ooh, am I gonna, you know, am I gonna ruin every, am I gonna, you know, are we gonna get pulled from the field? If I say this, am, are we going to lose funding? Yeah. Um, but at some point it just didn't matter. Like, because yeah. I was super depressed and needed to be honest about it. Yeah. Hey, if you want to connect with Jamie, you can find her at theveryworstmissionary.com or on Twitter at JamieTheVWM, or you can go buy this book, The Very Worst Missionary, on Amazon or wherever you get books. There'll be links to all that in the show notes. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at robert com or on social media at robertvore. Jamie, any closing thoughts for our listeners? I, I would love to hear what, you know, maybe you have to say to someone who is in maybe the place where you were in the first half of this memoir. You know, they feel like they don't have a lot of worth. They're trying to find worth in anything that will give it to them, whether that's a cool steel-toed boots or a boy <laughs> or the local church or, I mean, I don't know, any closing thoughts? Um, gosh, <laughs> that I think that person so often doesn't even recognize that that's where they're at. But, mm. and, and maybe I'm not even, I don't know, maybe I'm not even good at, at, at articulating this, but like, you know, it's so easy to say like you have value, right? You were born with value and um, that you have these gifts and abilities. And, and, and so I'd say, I guess for anybody who hasn't discovered that, like dig deep you know, see a therapist, ask your friends, figure out who you are before you, um, before you decide that your, your value is, is based on somebody else or something else. Um, it took me a long time. I mean, it took me into my forties and I wish that I'd known in my twenties that like, Oh no, 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 I can do things. I can, I can write. I can, I have opinions. I can form thoughts and share and, um, make other people feel included and loved and, and valued. And, um, you know, it, it would have been an extra 20 years of like, I think doing good things in the world. So yeah. I don't know, lean in, lean into the hard work of figuring out who you are, I guess. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, go get this book, The Very Worst Missionary. It is raw and honest and hilarious and heartfelt and oh so wise that's all the good adjectives i have at the top of my head right now but you should go you should go get this book jamie thank you so much for talking to me today pleasure thanks for having me on yeah i hope you have a great rest of your day thanks for listening to the cxmh podcast Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHPodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.